This podcast is brought to you by audible.com. To get your free audiobook, just go to audible.com, sign up for your membership, and you'll get a free audiobook. Cancel any time you want, and that book you get, you can keep. That's at audible.com. And welcome to the podcast. This is episode four of the podcast. And if you've been along the journey since episode one, well, thanks for sticking around. If you've just jumped in uh, for episode four, well, then there's three ahead of you that you can go back and listen to in your comfy place. Okay, so right now, wherever you are, your bed, your couch, you're on the road and you've managed to get a bed that's really, really comfy, or you're making do with the best you've got, just kick back and relax and know now that you are in your comfy place and you're ready for story number four. This story takes place over a number of years, little snapshots in time. I didn't even know that this story was unfolding because there were certain moments that I completely and utterly ignored and it was only till the end where I pieced it all together that I was possibly a witness and then end participant in one of the greatest stories of My family's time. Certainly my father's time. It began on an ordinary day. My father was around his table, this round pine table that he's had since the dawn of time. And I walk through and he's he's got this budding interest in the family tree, which we often, you know, parents and other people tend to do. And I was walking on by, on you know, on my way to something so much more better than what was going on there in my mind, where he sits me down. And he said, son, it's time you learnt. Now that conversation can go multiple ways, right? And so I sat there, you know, silently, and... He mentioned this person to me. He said, son, you need to know about this man called Henry Kneebone. Now, between you and me, I didn't really think I needed to know about a man called Henry Kneebone. I wanted to find out about people called Robert Plant, uh, James Hetfield, and other you know, musicians like that. But this guy, Henry Kneebone, well then, what was he to me? And he could see the look on my face. And so he summed it up really, really quickly by saying this. He is the reason you are in Australia now. 
Okay, that, that got my attention. And so, furthermore, he summarized his, his life. He lived in England. And during the 19th century, so early 1800s, he came out to Australia when gold was to be had. Was so, so successful and worked so hard that he brought his four brothers out and bought them all farms. And up near a town of Beechworth, there literally was a, a whole massive area, one of those cliches, right, as far as the eye can see, which he owned. There was a mountain range, and when he died, the Bowman State Forest Cemetery was built on that land. Okay, that's got my interest, I thought. And then he hit me with a kicker. He kept a diary. Sorry, he was a man, so he kept a journal. Men don't keep diaries, they keep journals. Well, back in those days, I guess. And the entire journal was in poem form. Start to finish. Okay, that really has my interest now. What? An entire journal? Poem form? I was in the middle of this weird, crazy teenage period where I was writing terrible, terrible poetry because I thought I was so artistic. And... One line was hard enough, but an entire life's work in poem form. And so he then shows me, you know, the poem, and I'm, I'm getting ready to, to you know, see this amazing poem. So he pulls out this small book, and in the small book has a small little small piece of paper, inch by inch. And he shows me this one, I guess, stanza. And it reads as follows. God so ordained that I was born, where Cornwall's saintly towers rise, and Newquay's headland like a horn out between Padstow and St. Ives. And I lean forward and I'm like, wow, okay. O okay. What's next? And then he looks at me blankly and says, what do you mean, what's next? And I look at him and say, is, is that it? Then he sighs and says, no, that's, that's one stanza. Okay, well, where's the rest? And then he gave me that look, you know, when you're trying to do something that's incredibly, incredibly hard and someone comes along and really doesn't appreciate actually how hard it is, like doing a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle and you're about, 
you know, 250 pieces in and then someone just reaches over and says, so when are you going to finish this? And you look at them and they're like, okay, you realize this is really hard, right? He gives me that look. And then he answers, I'm still searching for the rest. And again, there's so many times in my teenage life where I cringe at how cruel I was in my arrogance and said, okay, so it was just, where do you go and get the rest? And then he responds with, I don't know. I'm searching through the family tree to find if this still exists. I have this one piece, but I don't have any of the rest. So I got off the table. I wished him heartfelt good luck, and then I went to my room and did childish things in my room. And that was sort of scene one, act one. The next one comes probably about a year or two later, and I'm about, oh, about 14, 15 at this stage. Again, I didn't know that I was, you know, participating in this, so I didn't keep even a mental record and I had to look back on past events, kind of like the end of the sixth sense. And I look back on this and piece together. Now, I need to say, and I probably should have said this at the start, all of this is true. I am not making any of this up. Allow a little bit of difference because, again, I didn't keep a chronological on this day, on that day, etc. But I swear to you that everything that happened, happened. So I walk in. He's on the phone. I hear him excitedly saying, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so I look past and think, okay, so has he won the lottery or something? And he's scribbling down on his, his piece of paper in that nonsensical doctor-style cursive writing that he has, which is little more than what looks like a heartbeat beating. He manages to draw a single line into words that sometimes takes me minutes to decipher what he's actually writing, but he's getting it down really quickly. Slams the phone down, thud. Again, I do miss the fact that I can slam a phone down now. Usually, now it's when you slam it, you just go, boop. But he slams the phone down. Fist pumps the air. And then just practically grabs my attention. And says, I've got four more stanzas. Of what? I, I, I ask. Because I'd completely forgotten about the previous one. Four more stanzas. Of Henry Nearbone's poem. I said, "That's that's great. That's that's really great. How many how many stanzas are there? Completely is, is again is that it? Again, he answers, "I don't know. I don't. I don't know." And then he sets to writing those down, and I actually never meant to ask what they were. I was, you know, to be honest, interested, but not that interested until, 
you know, the whole thing, because it seems to me in my teenage mind like something of non-significance. But I did ask him, how long have you been searching for this stuff? He replies back, at this stage, it's been about 10 years. I then realize my dad doesn't do things by halves. I don't even think 99.999% is good enough for him. He's been spending 10 years looking for this, this poem from this guy. And again, yeah, he's the reason why we and a lot of other knee bones are in Australia. So now he has about six stanzas. And he is happy as a schoolboy. He's, he's fist bumping. He's just, yes, he's running it down. And I was smiling from ear to ear, seeing, you know, my dad incredibly happy at that moment. And then once again, I you know, go to my bedroom and do my thing. At that stage, I discovered electric guitar, so I was playing electric guitar extremely badly. About two years, three years later, I come home and I see my father the word crestfallen doesn't really make enough sense. It doesn't hold enough emotion to it. It's not it. There's an Australian term. It's called gutted, which sounds a bit gross, but it is gutted. He was absolutely gutted. Close to tears, actually. So I walk through and I look at him and say, what's wrong? Waiting to hear that someone close, you know, had died because it was that level, right? And he, he turns to me and he says, I've, I've found Henry Nebone's journal, which sounds weird because I thought that would, he would be the most happiest he's ever been. Maybe he's crossed over to the other side and he's got this sadness, but yet it'll spring back to elation. And I say, that's great. It's absolutely awesome. Where is it? He replies, this lady's got it up near Beechworth. I got off the phone to her about half an hour ago and I asked if I could see it and she blatantly told me to bugger off. What do you mean? She said, don't call me again. I'm not showing anyone. It's hours. go away and I mightn't have understood the first moments where he was 
you know, searching for this guy all the second time. But I understood it when he dropped that. I was searching for 10 years for something. 10 years. And now it's about 14. Adding a couple up. And again, please allow a bit of error in the adjustment. I don't have a chronological on this date, on that date. But it's about 13, 14 years. To find out that, yes, he's finally, finally, he can see this and read it and know the life journey of this guy who's a great, great ancestor, an elder, if you will, of of our, you know, family. To be told that, no, he can't see it. No, obviously he can't have it. And no, he can't even arrive, look at the thing, potentially make a copy, whatever. No. And then be told that it's, you know, their possession, which obviously rightfully it is, but... He didn't want to take it. He just wanted to see it. So he knows it's there. And for all intensive purposes, it's locked away in a safe, in a tower, and there's no way for the rest of his entire life that he is able to go and see it. I understood what that meant. I think anyone would understand what that meant. Imagine your live stream knowing its exact location and knowing that you'll never, ever be able to achieve it. It was a long time before he returned to his normal self. A long time. Now, fast forward about six odd years, and the little boy who was introduced the first time, and the crackling voiced adolescent teenager the second time, and the trying to kind of grow a bit of a goatee, but not quite managing it the third time. Well, that boy is now working what the hell, man. And he's working in, a, in IT of all things, and that's me, by the way. And I get a call, which is not out of the ordinary, because I received a lot of calls every single day, and not knowing the number, I pick it up, and I answer, hi, Andrew here, how can I help? And it's my father on the line. And the first words he says to me is, don't laugh. No, hello. No, no. How you doing? Hey. hey. Don't laugh. So there's a bit of a pause. And then I say, oh, okay. I'm going to read something out to you. And then it's pause again, and I'm like, okay, go ahead. So he, I can hear the rustling of, of uh, you know, this bit of paper and all the noise around me. Since it just fade away into the background. He's rustling this bit of paper, and he does this, you know, cough. <clears throat> like he's about to be mocked for what he's reading, because it's just ridiculous. And so he starts to read. 
Okay, here we go. H T T P Long pause. Colon An angled something. Uh, and then I'll reach and say, is it a, a forward slash, Dad? Yeah, forward slash. And then another one. And then I, I don't laugh because he asked me not to laugh and I understood this, but I said, Dad, that's a, that's a web address. It's about 1998 and the internet hadn't finally exploded then and cat videos hadn't taken over the world and all that kind of stuff but things were broken down on these long web addresses and so he says it's a what it's a it's a web it it's like an online library is how i how i put it to him how do you how do you explain the internet at the time and it also didn't matter so it's just like, okay, well, what the hell is this about? So he proceeds to give me the address. Letter by letter. There was even a tilde in there. I think it was an old GeoCities address. And so he gives it to me. And I, I, I you know, write it all down and type it into my browser. Netscape at the time. And then I press enter. And this is pause by him. He says, well, what, do you, what do you see? Yeah, the other day, it's still loading. Again, the internet was not fast in those days. Okay, okay, here it is. Let me just see. Scroll down. Uh, okay, we've got some stuff here. Um, okay, he's, he's, he's adding uh, the... Complete works of Henry Newbone. What? He says. Then I say, the complete works of Henry Newbone. Now, you need to understand, it's been a lot of years between these two periods, and I was in a job that was crazy busy, so I didn't, I didn't clue right then. But eventually there's a part of my brain that went, you idiot, this is Henry Newbone. And so then I gave the appropriate response. Dad, this is the complete works of Henry Nebone. And then he says, okay, so, so what, what does that mean? I go, well, I don't know. Because um, does it have the, the poem there? Said, yeah, yeah, it, 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 there's, there's, there's a poem. He goes, okay, so how many, how many stanzas are there? Is it ten? 10, 20 stanzas. And I respond back, Dad, this not 10 stanzas. It's the complete works. There's 50 pages. More. Each page has 10 stanzas. Dad, it's... It's the whole thing. It's the entire... Complete works of Henry Kneebone. 
And so I, I start to read some. And the first stanza looks incredibly familiar. God so ordained that I was born, where Cornwall's saintly towers rise. And Newquay's headland like a horn out between Padstow and St. Ives. But then it continues. On November the 23rd, 1828, was the first time I was heard, was the first time I saw the light. The lovely bay of Watergate. What a scenery can be finer. In wonder stand and contemplate the high cliffs of St. Columbus Minor. Silence on the other end. Then he asked, Can you print it out, Dad? I'm already printing it. It's already going out. The printer was off. He had the sound of a man that had found what he was looking for for not what was possibly now 20 years. And I asked how he got that web address and he said the son of the woman who told him to bunker off. He got it there. Now I will attest to that part is a little scratchy because... I was overwhelmed with emotions and what was going on. So, all I know is that there was a web page. Someone had copied the entire book and placed it up on the web. Now, of course, I then made it a complete copy of that as well. I've got multiple copies all over the place. But yeah, it's there. And then, you know, I printed it out and then I I bound it with office stationery, plastic folding and stuff like that. And then I put it in an envelope and I sent it off. And do you think I wanted to read that? I did. I wanted to. But for some reason, I don't know why, I felt if I had read it before him, it would feel wrong in some kind of way. So I waited, you know, the days for it to arrive to him. And then we both opened it and started reading the book, essentially. That was the complete works of Henry Kneebone. It's one of my fondest memories. It really is. The poem itself is is absolutely fascinating. He had a hard, hard life. He lost a number of children to disease, ones that we now have vaccines for, but he, he lost them, and he speaks of the loss with a hardness that I can't imagine. He was even alive during this famous famous moment in history of Australian history called the Eureka Stockade 
can Google it. It was essentially a battle between the um, between the miners and the government at the time. He was alive then, and he wrote about it. Here's the part of the poem where he does. Then around the camp a barricade, full ten feet high with bags of sand, providing an assault was made. This fort some shelter may command. See Peter Lawler, Burke and Ross going to form a constitution. Unfolding now the Southern Cross, emblem of a revolution. There's more, but they're my favourite bits. Now, my father passed on. And when he... When he did, he imparted to me that now that he knew the entire work... He wanted the last stanza of the poem to go on his grave. And and it is. So, if you're not already asleep, or if you are, well, great. But if you're not, I'll leave you with the last words of the life's work of Henry Kneebone. The summer of our life is gone. And the sun is setting in the west. When in this world we are unknown. God grant that may with him rest. <laughs>